Hey, deserving listeners. Today's episode is just for patrons of the podcast. This episode is with Bob. We recorded it earlier. And for whatever reason, every time I start an episode with Bob, I think we're just going to talk about light things, but it, it inevitably gets more serious and more personal. And I just as a policy or out of just embarrassment or something, I just like to keep it the audience down to just the patrons when we have those kinds of discussions. So if you're not a patron of the podcast, this episode is going to end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. In this episode, Bob and I talk about self-care and we get into, I don't know, just some personal issues. All right. So if you're not a patron, do so now. If you are, the content will soon begin. So, Bob, I put out a survey online yesterday and asked people to submit questions for you and me to answer. Wow. And we got a lot of questions. So let's get into it. This first question is, and no names, so just people just submitting questions. How do you sustain taking care of yourselves, Bob? How would how do you sustain taking care of yourself? Like with regard to work, um, in life, in, in life? work, in I stress. St- I don't think I'm particularly good at taking care of myself. Mm. So, <laughs> what should you be doing? Um, I should be paying attention more to what I want and how I feel and observing my limits and acting from an empowered place. I had therapy this morning. And uh, (laughs) um, uh, that's the things that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, for me, I would say that sleep is important. Mm. Exercise is important. Walking the dogs. Yeah. Chatting with Stacy as we... Walk the dogs. That's a self-care thing. Oh, that's nice. Hugging Stacy and hugging my animals, hugging my friends like, like you, and mm-hmm. hugging my family. Eating well, but I don't eat particularly well. But I eat. I eat. <laughs> I eat what I want to. I, maybe that's part of it is taking care of myself is like enjoying yeah. my meals. Yeah. And not eating late at night because that can cause problems for me. Mm-hmm. Saying no to things. Oh, saying no. Yeah. Like, I love saying no to people that I don't want to do things. I just love it. People will say, hey, let's do that, Ben. No, I don't want to. And, you know, it's not like people are saying, hey, could you help me carry this box out to the garage? I'm not, like, saying no to that. But if they're inviting me to something where I just I just don't want to do it, I'll just say. Or at work, if they ask me to do something, I just say, nope, not going to do that one. <laughs> Right on. <laughs> Life's too short. And if I disappoint a few people along the way, I don't know, it's worth the price. Can you say no to people? It's not easy. Yeah. You don't have a life where that comes up very much. No, I don't. But, know, yeah. But, but socially, maybe it comes up sometimes. Um, yeah. Um, or family or something yeah i don't i don't talk to my family that much so there's not a whole lot of opportunity to say yes or no to, to, to they anything. don't actually make requests to me yeah so yeah your life is pretty even keel it's these days even keel yeah yeah you got your house yeah. you got your wife you no got, got your dog dog work it's pretty yeah. steady and house even. has been there for a while so it's been 
Uh, it's pretty settled in now. Yep. You've got it all kind of set up the way you want it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. You've got your set of friends yep. that good, good hasn't changed in a long, long time. I don't think I've made a new friend in years. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 10, 15 years. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And some of the friends have been friends longer than that. Longer than that. Yeah. And so there's not, is that part of your self-care of just like lack of chaos? Oh, yeah, I suppose it is. Um, I'd say though, I wish I had more time with my friends. I miss my peeps. And Mm. some of that's, you know, coming off of COVID, but some of that's also the way my life is set up. I don't see my friends as much as I'd like. Yeah. Um, we used to hang out at least once a week. Yeah. Now I think mostly when I see you, it's it's for podcasting. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, I enjoy podcasting with you, and yeah, it's good. Not knocking it. Yeah, but um, I miss just you know hanging out. I don't even I don't really miss playing poker. That that's all right every now and again, but it can get hairy. It can get kind of hairy. I don't yeah. like the way I get sometimes. That's not good self care. Yeah. Yeah. Good self care is. Not playing poker. Like, really? Like we used to, yeah. Huh. Well, what if there was a different game? Like, just, yeah. just a, like there are co-op games, by the way. Is that the games where the, you're, you're working together as opposed to working against? Right. Are they any fun? Yeah. Like, you got one? Yeah. Oh, we should play one. Yeah. I remember that. Do you remember a game called the Ungame? Yeah. I hate the Ungame. I never played it except for when I was working with clients. Exactly. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Other things I do is I do what I want when I want to do it. Nice. Try to. Yeah. Like, I feel like having pizza for breakfast, so I do that. Or I feel like just looking out the window for a while, you know? Although I could probably do more of that. I try to stay in tune tune with my values. That's a self-care for me. That's a big one. Yeah. Do you do that? Oh, in lots of ways I do, and in some ways I don't, yeah. Yeah. But in lots of ways I do. You know, they say that's one of the biggest contributors to a person's sense of well-being and satisfaction in life is living within their own values and living a life that has purpose and meaning. I would expand, ex- explain more. Yeah. Oh, you want me to explain more? Yeah. Oh, um, well, there's those three bits to happiness. This is that Martin, Martin Seligman, who I like him okay. He's he's all right. Um, uh this is the positive psychology guy. Positive psychology guy, yeah. Though, interesting enough, he did that experiment with the dogs in the early 70s that was not positive at all. The one with the shocking. We could talk about that another time. So, well, you got to give us this. this. Now we got to do it? Yeah. Okay. So the dogs, they split into two conditions. And in the first condition, they get shocked in a middle cage. They're in a middle cage and they get shocked and they have an escape and they escape. And in the second condition, same thing. They're getting shocked, but there's no escape. And so what do they do? And what they do is they walk around in a circle and they kind of whimper for a while and they're still getting shocked and then eventually they lay down still getting shocked and they don't move and then the kicker is is later when you subject both dogs to the same condition which is in a metal cage getting shocked where there's an exit the ones that exited before will exit again and the ones that didn't exit will just lay down and let themselves get shocked because they will not perceive the exit so he coined the term learn helplessness yeah yeah. So um, kind of ironic that the positive psychology guy did a, did that research. Why is it ironic? I, I don't understand. Seems like a kind of a negative thing to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it's related it in his mind yeah. in that we will have 
Well, it, when we come upon someone mm-hmm. and they've had a lifetime of learned helplessness, right. then trying to, instead of diagnosing them and giving them a pill or something, right. helping them to see that they're, that they have power and that they have agency and that they have the resources within them and with some nudging here and there behavior wise they can learn that they that they have uh, the ability to change their lives yeah right am i yeah no i think that's exactly it right yeah. it's just a what you're saying is he tortured dogs i am saying that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> To learn about how to right? how to help those of us who have learned helplessness, which is probably everybody to some degree or other. Yeah. I think most of my therapy is aimed at my own learned helplessness. Really? Yeah. What do you mean? Like, I often don't recognize when I have power or agency. Honestly, God, the three things. Bob, do you, let's see, what does he say to me? He's like, uh, Your therapist? Yeah. Do you want us to pay attention to you? That's one of them. Are you in your agency or your authority? That's another one. What is it? So when he asks you that, what it, what kind of what does that feel like to you? Usually it makes me um, anxious because I'm I'm reminded that I exist, and so I um, I'm reminded that I exist, and also I'm visible. So those are right. So the contrast, the cruising speed. You are in a state of being useful to other people. I am. Your ref, your reflection of what other people want, rather than being a human being that has wants and desires. Yeah. You're you're a you're like a servant. Yes. And uh, when you are asked, can you recognize that you have agency? That gives you anxiety. It does because of a fear of. Um. Oh, fear of. Honestly, here's one for you. Oh. A fear of disappointing him. <laughs> because if you. Well, what do you mean? So you guys, like, oh, I have to have agency now or else he'll be disappointed in me. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? If it's a rule in one area, it's going to be rule in area, all areas. Right, right exactly. Like, yeah. uh-oh, I'm I'm not being useful to him by yeah. not having a, agency. Yeah. yeah. Um, then what? Um, then, then, and then it's, do you want to? He'll often ask, do you want to have a sense of autonomy and agency? Do you yeah. want to? Um, um, and... Oftentimes I don't, not because I don't, but because it's confusing to me and also because um, um, it's scary. Like today I was thinking, sure, I could have agency around this one bit, but then there's this other bit and this other bit and this other bit and, this, and all these bits, right? And he's like, he says to me, you, it's a longstanding habit. You don't have to figure it all out today. So when you think about it, you will future trip, as they say, mm-hmm. and think, well, that means I have to have authority in all these other situations, right. and that scares you. Yes. Because what, what's the fear of? Um, I always think the fear is in the present moment, and then this thing, this story about oh, tomorrow and the next day and the next day, are ways of protecting me from having to face agency right now. To be honest with you, right. that's what I really think. Right. Yeah. And the fear of that is. Not only disappointing others by not having it, but what else? Um, well, disappointing others, that's a pretty big deal to me. Um, not not being safe. Right. Yeah. So not being safe. Yeah. If you pull away from being a servant, you could get hit. Yeah. Because you're not being a servant. 
because yes. that's what happened when you when you were young. Yes. So there's an associative danger with agency. Yeah. That's not rational. No. But was but, rational when you were a kid. Yeah. So it's danger. Something horrible is going to happen. Doom. Some unnamed doom. Yeah. Does anything actual happen? Actually happen? Like, has anything bad actually happen when you? Because sometimes bad things will happen. Like you'll take your eye off the ball and hurt someone's feelings because you're not hyper focused, and you're thinking about yourself too much. That's a really great question. Does anything bad happen? I don't think so. Well, you know, I think the world will resist change, and that can feel scary to me. Like, if I change, um, the world will push back um, to keep things homeostatic, right? And that's what they call it. And... um I think I am apt to interpret that as a bad thing, the pushback. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt somebody. If you keep your eye off the ball? What's off the ball? Meaning you're not focused on other people as much? Yeah, that's true. Or are you afraid um, you're going to hurt someone in any circumstance, whether you have agency or not? Yeah, that's true. I think I'm. I think I get afraid that I'm going to hurt somebody if I exercise my agency or my authority. I'll, I'll, I'll hurt somebody. I think it's all aimed at the same thing, which is keeping me in the same place. Like it's all aimed at that. The self care question is really interesting to me because I don't think I'm actually very good at it, and it brings up a lot of. Um, it's like a mirror, you know, like. Because everything you said makes sense, you know, eating reasonable and getting some sleep and a little bit of exercise and all that stuff that we do to maintain our just general overall well-being and welfare. Mm-hmm. Um, I, now I can't remember what I was going to say. It's a mirror, you said. Self, the, the question of self-care yeah. or, is a mirror, yeah. meaning that you are forced in this moment to look at yourself. And recognize something. Yeah. Yeah. If I asked you, what's your other care? What? How do you care about others? You'd be able to list off a bunch of things. Oh, sure. Show up on time for our our podcast date here. Yeah. Um, which was getting was close. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, go grocery shopping after today, so that you know there's food in the house, etc. Um, and those you, you feel you're in the zone. You feel good mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you think about taking care of yourself and you draw a blank or it's uncomfortable? I think about taking care of myself and I draw a blank. Yeah, I often don't don't feel okay about or feel confident in what I want. Sometimes I don't know what I want. A lot of times I don't know what I want. And um, I think oftentimes I think about what I want and then I overthink it, I think and think and think and think and don't execute. And then it gets kind of yucky, like yesterday was a bad day because of that. And, um, But also I think about, well, what do other people want and how does what I want interfere with that? It's all aimed at the same thing. I mean, it really is my trip. I think at this point in life I can say, this is mine, this is my trip. Mm-hmm. But it is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. 
Meaning that in the past you would have blamed others? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But now you're saying, oh, this is my... My my trip. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that others don't have um, um, a bit in it. You know, like if you change, the world doesn't want you to change back. I'd say that's the world asserting its bit. But we each get a choice. We get to say, well, I'm going to go along with that story and remit. Yeah. Or I'm going to say, okay. And the... Today, that was therapy, too, as we did this sort of role play thing about, you know, having an assertiveness in some part of my life. And I'm like, that's not what I would say. He was he was playing me. <laughs> and uh, I I was like, well, that's not what I would do. And then I was watching him and I was watching what he wasn't doing. And he wasn't relying on the other person to give him a sense of okayness. He was just letting that be. And he was he was saying this out loud. He's like, so, okay, well. I'm glad you're glad, and I think I'm going to go take a walk, as opposed to, well, how come you're not supporting me? You know, what do you mean you're glad? You know, this kind of, this is the thing that my brain, I know I'm being a little bit vague, but this thing that my brain does is, um, the, so, so you were role-playing, he was role-playing you, and yeah. you were role-playing him, or just another uh, person? Somebody else, yeah. And he was embodying your psyche and saying, okay, I'm Bob, and da-da-da, and he was trying to exhibit someone who had agency, agency and who cared about themselves enough to listen to themselves and look at themselves. And you're watching him and you're thinking, yeah, I, sh I don't do that. Oh, definitely not. Not so easily. No. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you, and then at a certain point he says, I think I'm going to go for a walk. Yeah. Like in the interaction, because it's not going anywhere. And from, his version of me, he didn't want to do it anymore. Right. So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to end this and go for a walk. And then you were watching him and thought what again? I thought, you're not, this is dissatisfying because you're not getting the other person to knock off some behavior and you're not, you're not confronting them about it and you're not, um, you're not, there's the inherent discomfort of now what, right? You're going to go for a walk and then you're going to come home and then what, right? And then what? And the discomfort is still there. But I suppose, I suppose, I don't really know, but I suppose the then what is what's authority and agency in that moment. Yeah. It just sounds exhausting. I it think does? it's important. Yeah. I think it's important, but it sounds really exhausting. Having agency and authority sounds exhausting to yeah. you. Yeah. Because of the amount of effort it takes? Yeah. Not because it's a bad thing. No, no. Like you say, well, if I don't want to do it, I say no. Like, I'm like, that's really cool. And it's hard to imagine. Yeah. We've talked about this for years. Yeah. And I am just now, as your therapist was role-playing, I'm trying to imagine what you would look like if you did have what your therapist and you are calling agency and authority. Connection with yourself. Mm-hmm not uh, you know frequently focused on other people and f and pleasing them being yourself mm -hmm. feeling as though you deserve to be yourself mm -hmm. you deserve to take up space emotionally mm -hmm. i'm trying to cuz i've seen you in a lot of contexts and so i'm not comfortable saying you're never like that no uh i i think that sometimes you do exhibit you mhm mm like, but correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, 
are there times when I've seen you when you are exhibiting authority and agency and a connection with you and not so focused on pleasing other people? Yeah. But, you, you and me had some really, some really good days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, are you having authority and like agency? Like the second? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. I'm talking about this. Right. Yeah. I'm having the thought, is this, this isn't what the person wrote in to talk about. <laughs> and then am I talking about myself too much? And Yeah. Well, that, I think everyone does that, mm. but okay. So it's not a hundred percent of the time. It's just when you're relaxed and kind of cruising, you're in a state of pleasing others. And so it takes effort and it's a little uncomfortable, but you're not completely uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Right, because other contexts that I've seen you being in yourself is when you're having fun. Yeah. I don't see you as being someone that's like constantly trying to make things good for everyone else. Like you're, no. you're like when you're peeing on my foot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a fun day. <laughs> um, things like that. I don't know why that popped into my head, but it did. As yeah. times when I don't see you as being completely other focused no like it seems like you're truly who you are yeah and not distracted by fears of being otherwise yeah yeah but in relation to close attachments like with your therapist mm-hmm. it's harder in this session mm-hmm. yeah it's harder because the closer you get to someone the more scared you get yeah and the more your defenses kick in on trying to please him. I was thinking about you in therapy today. Huh. And I, I asked toward the end of our session, I said, I got a question. How long are our meetings? And he said, well, they're 50 minutes plus or minus five minutes, but I rarely do less than 50 minutes. And your meeting is now been 50 minutes and 30 seconds. We started four minutes late. And so I said to him, what do you do during those four minutes? Like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, what do you think I'm doing? I'm like, well, I think you're having a poo or something. Maybe you're making a cup of tea or, or whatever. And he said, um, he laughed and he's like, um, yeah, I'm making a cup of tea. He showed me his teapot. He makes like fancy tea, not like a tea bag tea. And um, um, he said, no on the poo. And... <laughs> And I, and then we talked about his lateness and I said, you know, you're okay with it. You're like, you recognize this is a thing that's true about you, that you're, that this is that you run late and you're okay with it. And he said to me, I think you overestimate my sense of okayness. I actually feel really bad about it. And what I do is I know this about me. It's a character. This is his words. It's a characterological thing. And it has a generational, it's like generational not just me it's like a family whatever i don't even know what it is but Uh. and he said uh, what i do is i welcome the experience of shame and anxiety about being late and i bring them into the room with me it doesn't mean that i focus on them like you know we're talking i'm paying attention to you but they're definitely here and present for me and i'm not okay i don't feel okay but i welcome the not feeling okay part what do you think of that um, um, well, I think he's going to be late next time I see him. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and forever, it sounds like. Probably, yeah. And what do I think? I think... Uh, well, the thought I had was, why not just save yourself the trouble and come on time? <laughs> and... I imagine that sometimes he does. Like, he went away for a 10-day meditation retreat once this couple of years ago, and he comes back and he's like, okay, I'm recommitting to ending my sessions on time, which is, you know, at 15 minutes, 10 to, or whatever, and, and then so, I'm, so I have enough time for the next person, you know, on time for the next person. And he did it for about, I'd say, six, eight weeks. And then, you know how we are, we revert. He reverted to the to the old the old way. It is weird, though, what is he reverting to? But to hear him say that I, mm-hmm. I I have more compassion for it mm-hmm. and, uh, the way he's framing it mm-hmm. that it sounds like for generations meaning at least his parents maybe his grandparents have some kind of trauma and some kind of behavior either being late or irresponsible or letting people down or something and or distracted or stressed or something it sounds like he's struggling a lot yeah honestly like not yeah. just with that but like something this is the tip of the iceberg Lateness it sounds is just like one manifestation of whatever something big ask him well you don't have to well why not you can <laughs> it might help you trust him more and he understands that and he's struggling yeah and this is a constant thorn in his side. It sounds like every yeah. every hour of every day. But then you think, well, how hard is it just to be on time? <laughs> you know, well, what is getting? But then you got to figure it must be like what could it be? It just to uh, provide a possibility that's probably not the right one. But right. he is sitting there, and he. You know, let's say the first step. Have you ever been his first episode of the day? Mm, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. So well, anyway, he he finishes his first appointment and he's got a few minutes, and he gets his tea and he's looking at the clock, and he's thinking, "Oh, I only have I only have thirty seconds," and then he gets up into his head and he's like but I deserve more time for myself or something because of some trauma he went through. And he thinks everything will be okay. I'll, I'll just, you know, they'll understand. I'll go over. It's no big deal. Um, and then the shame kicks in of like, you piece of crap. You're always late. What's wrong with you? You're a, you're just a terrible person. And so there's part of him kicks in and is like, no, I am a good person and it's okay if I'm late. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. And then this war goes on inside of him, and he just ends up being late because he's focused on that, ironically. Mm. So who knows? There's another million other possibilities. Sure, right. But you amp up that inner conflict to 100, then that's every day this battle of you're a piece of crap and no, I'm not. That's going to take up a few minutes every day, and you're going to be late. But, you know, who knows what's really going on. Today he said he overslept, so he was late for his first one. And then, you know, dominoes. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But you'd imagine, okay, if I know this about myself, I could change my life so that I'm not doing... Or just end, you know, okay, you're late. You slept in. The first appointment, just be like, 
I'm terribly sorry, I need to reschedule, or I'm terribly sorry, I have to end it on time. I wonder if it's also a part of this terror of disappointing people, because I, I know a lot of people that are late or are flaky because of this reason. They're so terrified of disappointing people that are in front of them right? that they will f- disappoint people they're not in front of. Right. You know, so he yeah. doesn't want to disappoint that first client. Right. But it's like, well, you slept in, it's plus he probably has a lot of long-term clients and he's not, they're not going to kill him if he shows up five minutes late and ends on time, especially in a weird circumstance like that. Unless you thought, why bother? Because it's just going to happen again tomorrow or the right. next day. I'm always day. late. So what's yeah. the difference? Yeah. yeah. I could change the way. Maybe I I put instead of 10 minutes between clients, I put 25 minutes. Yeah. But I'll probably still be late because if it's a, some kind of generational thing, my brain will make a way to it. It'll it'll set up it'll set up a way that I've got to deal with it one way or the other. I like how this podcast is like ten percent us speculating as to what's wrong with your therapist because he's late. Yeah, um, I, I could see another uh, just another possibility of because what's the effect? Because that's a, that's always a clue. Ooh, interesting. The effect is to hurt people, to make people feel unimportant and neglected and what would generate that from inside him why would he cause that in other people it's kind of aggressive yeah well right it's hurtful and it is mm-hmm. it's hurtful to be late once is hurtful to be chronically late where you're at a point now where you're like i don't show up to my session on time because there's no point you know <laughs> like why would i do that to myself just staring at a screen for five minutes hoping that he'll log on like it's it hurt it hurts just I, watching the <laughs> seconds tick by, you know. He texted me. I had I had the thing on. I was logged into the thing, right? And uh, uh, then you know, instead of just sit there looking at the waiting room screen of the Zoom whatever thing, um, I just got it busy with I don't email. I don't. Even, I was looking at something. And he he texts at nine oh five. I'm watching you. Dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> oh he's watching me because you know he's right like, right anyways right 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 funny. yeah yeah um you know he's a boxer did i tell you that wow he's a really interesting man I, um and he talks about boxing as um like like as um metaphor mm, for life kind of but like he's like you're in a ring with somebody you're in a relationship with somebody like you're in a relationship with the person who's you're boxing like yeah. That's definitely a relationship, yeah. and you're each working something out. Um, I, you know, I always think of boxing as just like this sort of violent, um, I don't know, power trippy thing. But he looks trying at, to beat the crap out of someone else. Yeah, yeah. And it's not entirely untrue. That is sort of the the goal, right? Right. Is to subdue somebody through force, right? I mean, it requires skill and strength and agility, et cetera. Anyways, whatever. Um, he thinks of it as entering into a relationship with somebody. It's really kind of interesting to listen to him talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe with boxing, you bond. I think that sometimes you can, uh-huh. you can be wanting to, you know, beat yeah. them to a pulp, but at the same time feel connected to them emotionally. Right. Um, but yeah, so to, to disappoint others, to aggressively disappoint others chronically. I, I wouldn't be surprised 
and who knows if he'll ever tell you or if he even knows or and I'm probably not right because the variability is too high but I wonder if part of it is this inner conflict of why do I have to sacrifice myself for these yahoos to this extent right yeah like no I draw the line I deserve a couple minutes to just make my tea and take my time they can wait I'm not going to kowtow is that the word yeah to pressure and obligation I will not I draw the line I've, I've been tr- trodden upon my whole life and I'm not gonna let it happen this time I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I'm just you know, I'm just throwing stuff at the wall, seeing if, what sticks. If I ask him, he'll probably talk about it. Like he's not real shy about it. Yeah, which I like. Would it help your therapy? Yes, it would. Yeah, why? Because um, it's an opportunity for, at the very least, it's an opportunity for intimacy. Yeah, like what's the deal here? And is there something about? You know, you experience me as your overlord that's sucking something out of you because I'm here at nine o'clock instead of nine o four. Yeah. Um, or are you trying to get something for yourself, or what's the deal? Yeah. Like it probably it has relevance for me personally. Um, you know, in my own kind of growth, it has relevance for our relationship, and it also has relevance for my therapeutical around you know connection and authenticity with another person and. Mm-hmm. Um. Um, he would, he would, I think he would like that. Hmm. I noticed as, as soon as I asked him the, what do you do? You know, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Are you having a poo or whatever? My brain started to sort of retract like, uh Oh, I've been aggressive and I've overstepped because, you know, mm-hmm. it's like I'm being a confronted dick because I care about him being four minutes late. I can't even let myself care about it. So it's good. It's good that we keep talking about it. I get you and me. Yeah, you and me talking about it is really is also good. I was thinking about him and me talking about it. But when you and me talk about it, I get um, uh, exposed to a perspective outside of my own brain, Uh and um, 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 out. And so, therefore, I can um, expand beyond my habit of worrying too much about, you know, mm-hmm. in this case, what does my therapist think of think of me if I confront him? Yeah, or just, or just right. you don't have to confront him. You just be like, yeah. I don't like the fact that you're late. I don't know what's going on with you. Yeah. You've got an issue, yeah, of some kind, which I have compassion for. But I have to say, I don't understand why you can't just show up on time. Right. Like, what do you? I don't understand what you're doing. <laughs> I have, you know, if you're struggling, I have compassion, but same time, it fucking sucks to log on and to be staring at the screen for five right. minutes, just waiting for you. Yeah. So, right. And you know, there's always two ways to go with that. One is we could talk about him being late or we could talk about me talking to him about be- him being late. Yeah. Both are, have, um, merit. Right. He could literally always be late mm-hmm. and you telling him you don't like that he's late would be success success yeah because you know maybe it's the thing maybe that's the thing is like 
He has some kind of generational trauma. So do I. Mm-hmm. Maybe the point isn't to get him to be on time. Maybe the pearl is the oyster's answer to the irritation as opposed to we should never have any irritations. Yeah. Yeah, to venture into a realm for him that is not so easy. Mm-hmm. There's not an easy answer. He can't just say, like with other questions you might ask him, are you safe? That He can answer that. He can say, yeah, I'm safe. Yeah. There's no complication in that. There's no counter evidence. Right. But to ask him, I don't understand why you hurt me by being late every time. It's not a huge hurt, but it hurts every time. I understand why you do that. That's a tougher yeah, I can response feel from him. Not even wanting to. Huh? I can feel myself not even wanting to. But it's true, right? I don't know. You don't know what? I don't know if it's true. It you might... don't know if he hurts you? Yeah. Exactly. You don't know if it hurts that he's late? Yes. Oh. It used to hurt. You told me that. Um, yeah. And what I could imagine is, is that my brain will make black into white so that I'm not um, annoying. So, like, you ever did that? Uh, maybe, yeah, you probably have, because probably everybody has. Just your body just changes how you feel about a thing if the consequence of feeling it is too high. Uh, yeah. I'll give an example. All right. Um, this one. I think that I can't let myself feel upset about it if it's going to keep happening because it's too risky to my connection with him if I have a complaint. So I just don't have one. Yeah. And it's not like I'm like shooting with resentment. It's like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, in any long-term relationship, you have to deal with certain quirks of your partner or your relationship partner that are annoying or hurtful that you've tried to subtly or even not so subtly alter, but they're not. And if you focus on it, it'll, it'll just be, it'll ruin your day and potentially the relationship. (laughs) So you just say, well, you got to take the good with the bad. And this is one of those bad things. And I guess I just have to deal with it. I think that's true. And I think for me though, it can, it can go a step further as like, being upset with the other person is risking the relationship. So don't be upset as opposed to I'm upset, but I'm just going to keep it to myself. Well, what if you were just mildly upset? Yeah. Just be like, look, I love you as my therapist and I'm never going to leave you unless you leave me. But I will tell you that you relate today. And I was, you know, it's kind of annoyed me. Yeah, exactly. On the scale from one to ten, it was a two, and I'm and I'm getting more and more used to it. But just to remind you, it bothers me a little bit. So I can feel that the risk in that, the risk of what happening. Well, the 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 nightmare is the relationship ruptures. We don't have one anymore. That he will, and what happens if you have a relationship rupture? Yeah, that it'll end. The relationship will end. Yeah, that he will fire you. Yeah. Or you'll fire him. Yeah. If something, you know, like he sa- he gets defensive and then you go home and see about it and you right. try to talk with him, he doesn't react well, and that's a road towards termination. Right. Where you terminate with him. Right. Because you're just fed up with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
because you've done that before. You've gone down roads where yeah. you've asserted yourself, things backfire, they get defensive, and then the relationship terminates. Yeah. So speaking your mind is dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So likely to happen with him? No. No, I can just feel the inner habit and resistance yeah. to it. Yeah. But that's happened many times to you where you've asserted yourself and you asserted yourself trying to improve the relationship and fast forward a while and the relationship has ended because you started this ball rolling by asserting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. He said something really interesting at the beginning of our session today. I, I sat down. I'm like, I don't want to be here and I'm fucking angry. Sorry for swearing. Um, um, and what he said was essentially your anger is welcome. I'd like to learn about it. Let's talk about it. Not like a clinical, like, oh, I'm angry, sure, interested, but like, it's okay that you're angry and I accept that about you. And, you know, even if you're angry with me, I still accept that about you. Right. Yeah. I'd say that going to personal counseling is um, one of the biggest elements of my own self-care. Huh. But it's really slow. Huh. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, slow compared to what, right? Right. Slow compared to the fantasy of snapping your fingers and everything would be fine. I like that fantasy. Fast compared to 99.9% .9 of everyone else who has your condition. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of them listening right now are wishing they could be as confident in themselves as you are. Wow. Set your sights higher, everybody. <laughs> Rug pulled out from underneath compliment. <laughs> you have a lot of comp you have a lot of uh confidence in yourself. Do I? Yes. I don't think anyone listening would say otherwise. Is confidence in oneself a thing that one doesn't notice? Like a fish don't If know you're used to beating like? yourself up all the time, yeah. Huh. All right. I I can I you know what? Yeah, you're right. Rug pulled out from under because I can automatically spin that, obviously. Um but what really occurs to me is the ways in which I'm not confident. Totally. But let me get micro. The ability to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people couldn't do that. Most people couldn't. The ability to admit it, Bob. <laughs> yeah. The ability to admit it. I have emotional issues. Yeah. It takes a tremendous amount of confidence. Oh. I have been abused. Yeah. And you're not busted up about it. You're just like, yeah, I was abused yeah. by my dad. And end of sentence. Yeah is a confident thing to do. The ability to look at your dad, the image of him, and say, he he did me wrong, and the ability to say it out loud. That takes tremendous, without any shame, or not enough shame to shut you down. The ability to say, I have feelings, and I have vulnerability, and I get angry, and I get sad, and I have needs, and sometimes I fuck things up. Mm-hmm but other times I'm pretty sure I'm okay. That takes a tremendous amount of confidence and 
connection with the self and agency and, and authority with the self. The ability to admit vulnerability with me on the podcast or with your therapist in sessions. This takes a tremendous amount of confidence that I am quite sure a lot of the listeners, even those without disorganized attachment, by the way, look up to. You know, I mean, you asked me to do this with you. I think it's been four years now. Has it been? Yeah, it's something like that. 2017, I think. And I didn't have a particular, I didn't have anything in mind except, I don't know what I had in mind. I didn't have anything in mind because I didn't know what it was going to be like. And then at some point it started to become like personal. And we got feedback about that. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's my angle here, which is to be personal because it is of service. So here's the question. The question is, if I didn't have my particular mode in life where I think I'm useful, would I still do this? Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think? I don't know. How could you know? Right. It can't be known. Well, you could know. Oh. You have the answer inside of you. All right. Uh, what I think is, yeah, I would. I think so, too. I mean, I don't, I, I can't know. And it's obviously a little self-serving for me to say I think you would otherwise. But I have known you a long time. And I absolutely think that when you're vulnerable on the podcast, you're operating from your true self. Yeah. It can't be really any, and I mean... I there could be a twist at the end of the movie where suddenly, you know, the real Bob emerges and just like, actually, this whole time I've been completely different. And on the inside, I don't really care about being vulnerable and I don't care about other people's feelings. And I don't care about being here and now and real and authentic and non stigmatizing around being a human being. I just can't imagine that being true. Uh, Given all your values. I think I see yourself when you're vulnerable on this podcast being, I mean, being vulnerable on the podcast is one phrase, mm-hmm. uh, but that I don't fully, doesn't fully encapsulate it, but I consider it to be you in your truest form. Hmm. Uh, I mean, not like yeah, of yeah. all time, but yeah. getting as close to or in the realm, the broader, broader realm of Bob in his truest form hmm. in his, place where he is exhibiting his values he is in a comfortable place i think you're more comfortable well, being you than you are and well comfort's relative but you know the the comfort of pleasing other people you're quote unquote comfortable with that but i don't sense comfort in you when you're doing that by the way what when when we're doing our thing here when you're pleasing other people Oh, if we have two modes, like your real mode, authentic yeah. Bob mode, yeah, and then we have another mode of you're pleasing other people. I I experience the pleaser Bob not as the as That's a comfortable it. Bob. I don't I don't see that Bob as very comfortable. I see that Bob is fine, and I don't see that Bob. I see that the pleaser Bob is not falling apart. But I never. I, I'm always sensing a little. Like right now, over the past you know half an hour, I sense relative low distress even though you're feeling some distress if you know what i mean yeah uh-huh. but when you're in the pleaser mode you're not you're not um 
bothersome to me. I want to be clear, but I, but I, 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 I sense much less distress in you when you're in authentic mode. And I know you might say, well, not really being completely authentic because you don't know how screwed up I am on the inside. (laughs) Yeah, a little true. I did have that, something (laughs) like that. Yeah. But I would argue there's a real you and it's, it's, it emerges. And again, I, I could be delusional, but I, I think those are the tricks in your mind to bring you down, Mm -hmm. to be the real you, to be vulnerable and authentic and, and human and yourself and speaking from your experience, I would say is the bottom level of the real Bob. Hmm. And those other things of like, well, you don't know the real me. Well, you know, those are details, shameful details that you consider to be shameful and Hmm. society might consider to be shameful. But, but these are details, but they're not the, they're not at the foundational level of Bob, Hmm. the vibe where I see that you're in the zone and where I feel comfortable and safe and, uh, just good around you. You feel comfortable and safe and good around me when you're authentic. Oh, huh. You know, it's funny. I think back on the days when uh, we were getting to know each other, uh-huh. and I always liked being around you because um, that's how you were. Uh-huh. You were always you. You didn't apologize for being you. You weren't unkind you were kind you were fun and decent and thoughtful and all the good stuff but you were you and um i've got one other friend that i um have the same feeling about like i feel good around because they don't apologize for where they are either and um i never th- i never well go go figure i never even thought about what your experience of me would be. Huh. Like, you know, hanging out with you and staying up late and eating pizza and playing cards and doing all that stuff. And I never, I never thought about, I always thought, well, yeah, I like being around Kirk because, you know, he's like a real human, like, and he's a good model for me because you're you. Uh-huh. Um, but I never really thought about what it was like for you huh. to be around me. Well, good I, for a laugh. Well, <laughs> it's hard for me to remember in the beginning. It was 25 years ago, yeah. but I, th- I think it was there, but I can't speak to the past number of years and say that you are a tremendous role model to me hmm. in your ability to be... Uh, non shameful about things that one shouldn't be ashamed of, of your emotions and your feelings. And when I ask you a question, you really think about it and you're not afraid of what you'll find. I can tell. I'll, I mean, I think you, there's a little hesitancy. You're like, Oh, but I don't think it's tremendous. You just stop and think, huh, well, what, how do I feel about this and that? What is going on? That is a, and I, I know the listeners agree, Bob, a very admirable quality, something that everyone aspires to, hmm. that you do better than anyone I know. Hmm. And uh, in terms of how I experience you, uh, 
when you are, and, and, and I do remember feeling this when we first met that, and I've told you this before too, your grasp on human experience was a wisdom that I don't see very often in people and it would shine in the things that you would say. And I always thought of you as a big brother to me in that way. I've told you that. Yeah. 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 And particularly in the beginning, because I was so lost when it came to psychology and you knew stuff already. (laughs) I didn't know the landscape. I I just didn't know anything. Right. Um, And, but anyway, yeah, the, the way that I see you is when you're what I perceive to be, I mean, I, I hesitate to even say close to you because that's kind of a weird thing to say. I, I would say that I do see. Well, you tell me, Bob. Are there times when you're the real you? If you sort of compartmentalize that part of the voice that says, "Well, you're not being the real you," because you know all those shameful things about yourself. We could we could potentially accurately conceptualize that as like oh, those are details. There's not the real you. It it's a part of you, but it's not like the foundational aspect of Bob and could be completely distorted based on voices that have been internalized that say there's something deeply wrong with you. And so you just, you just attach that voice to these details that there's really nothing wrong with you about, you know, okay. Have I experienced the real you? Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. So when I have, those are moments where I admire you but also feel safe with you and feel happy that you can be the real you. Hmm. And I feel calmer. Calmer. Hmm. It calms me. Yeah, no, I hear you. And that's weird to think about me being affected by the real you in a good way. In any way, really, but yeah. Seeing the real you. Yeah. And not going, yikes. Yeah. Or just seeing you at all. Yeah, you being affected by me, me having some kind of impact on you. I don't... Do you think about the impact that you have? You know, as you run about... And I don't mean like, you know, like with the important people in your world. Do you think about the impact you have? (laughs) Does anybody, you know, like that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I think it's I fascinating because. I assume everyone could take me or leave me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, George Bailey, huh? I, I assume, yeah. I assume that if I fell off the face of the earth, you know, there'd be like 48 hours of some adjustment. But <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> but I think that's true for a lot of people. I'm not, I'm not saying that. You mean that any, that lots of us see ourselves this way, or that a lot of us could fall off the face of the earth and nobody'd notice really? Well, I mean that's an exaggeration, but I. But the the way you asked the question really did kind of get me. You, you ask, you know, do you think about your impact on other people the yeah. way the way that we're talking about yeah. right now? Yeah. No, I mean people tell me, like students or clients or listeners to the podcast. Yeah. But. There's a pretty big part of me that's saying, well, you're just being nice. You know what I mean? Well, how many times over the years have I said to you the same thing? I know. 
I mean, I, probably a dozen times I've said to you, you're an important friend to me. Here's one of the ways that you impact me. You are your full self, and I rarely... And that, that being around that makes me feel like it's possible for me. And, and I, I feel, I get, I believe yeah, you. Yeah. And I, right, but maybe do we not, do, is this like a natural form of narcissism that we just avoid thinking about the impact that we have on the world or something? I think it's hard. I think we've been drilled. I think we've had this idea drilled into our heads so sufficiently that we should not consider ourselves important mm. that we should try not to be narcissistic mm-hmm. okay. and that is I've never thought about this before that's such a it's a good idea obviously people shouldn't be boastful and yeah. full of themselves but nah. it's false. I think we've the pendulum swings way too far Yeah, it does. because it's irrational for either one of us because right now we're both basically saying, you affect me. Yeah. And the other person's like, eh, I, I, I hear you, but I don't know if I really feel it. You know, that does, it's hard to, hard to really take that in, you know. And, 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 or I take it in now, but I don't walk around in the world uh, noticing that or assuming that. Yeah. But of course we do, right? Well, Right. I mean, we're drawn to people, right? We like being around people. You like being around Stacy. She definitely has an impact on you. Yeah. Right? I think we don't say it enough to other people. So maybe if we heard how we impact others in the way that we're talking right now, it would stick a little bit better. Require a bit of humility. Like you'd have to be okay with the fact that you do impact the people around you. Yeah. Like. Right. It's more dangerous of like, uh uh-oh. Yeah. I'm responsible or. I've hurt uh, if if I'm if I don't impact people then that's then I don't I don't hurt other people yeah. either <laughs> like they they don't care is? they don't care about what I do or what I say is it generational are the we had a therapist once say to us this is a couple of therapists she said to me and Colleen she's like well my kids and people of their generation have um a healthier sense of entitlement than people of our generation do you think it's generational well, they do say that Gen Xers like you and I were the latchkey kid generation. Yeah. Even though I was a latchkey kid, but I was essentially in you, that. You kind of were because yeah, because my parents, yeah. all everyone raised their kids hands off. Yeah. We played outside from dusk till dawn yeah. from the age of like two and a half on. Yeah. And. That was just the way everyone was. I, I don't remember. We had, I had one friend whose parents were like kind of interested in what he was doing. <laughs> and by today's standards, probably they'd call CPS on that parent, you know, because of neglect. So I think that we were raised particularly because the generation before us, like the boomers, their, their, the families were much more, was, there was much less reason to, fly out into the world you know there was no internet there's no, there's there was barely even television and so there's a lot of just sitting around at home with your family and talking and eating around the dinner table and reading the newspaper or, you know whatever playing a game you're home yeah it's all you do yeah maybe cousins come over or something but our generation was completely different people working often both parents uh there was tv a lot of it 
and not of value of extended family necessarily. I mean, everyone's different, of course, but, and kids today, they're, the change with them is that parents recognize now that they have an impact on their kids and they need to watch their kids. They need to be there for their kids. They need to protect them. There's so much to protect them from and that it's neglectful to just let your kids play all day by themselves and not interact with them <laughs> and leave them in the cribs. So they cry it out. So they'll shut up at the age of one and a half, you mm-hmm. know? And it, so so the kids, so by the way, research shows that kids are quote unquote more narcissistic right now. But if you actually look at the measures, what in all likelihood, the quote unquote narcissism that they're measuring is actually healthy entitlement to being treated well. Maybe the, the people that do the measuring are sharing their own bias, implicit oh, bias. Absolutely. There's this one major researcher that of course is on Fox News and all the other places touting this idea that millennials are narcissistic, but when you actually look at the data, the questions that younger people are answering differently today on average is, I matter. But that's one question on a series of 30 questions that supposedly measures narcissism. Right. But other questions like, I'm better than others, are not endorsed more today than they were before. So questions like, I matter, I sh- people should listen to me. I have, I deserve a voice. I like myself. I'm a good person. These are elements of self-esteem, not narcissism, which is completely different. Yeah. And the twinge is her name or twinge. I can't remember her her name, but she, she is this researcher that uh, is constantly talking about how everyone's more narcissistic right now, but it's actually completely false. (laughs) It's like, no, they have more self-esteem because we parents are better today. Parents, you know, because there's this whole narrative around Facebook and the me generation and, um, you know, materialism. And those are valid critiques of society that aren't good. I mean, materialism is bad, but yeah. this notion kids today and their narcissism, I mean, every generation thinks that, but so, and any psychologist can tweak the data interpretation to fit their, their purposes and not notice that they are right yeah anyway so did these kids if they were sitting here having this conversation in a podcast you know when they're say in their early 50s and they say well you know you impact me do you know that do you think they'd be more likely to say yeah no i don't think so i i know a lot of kids i know a lot of young people i don't i think they'd i think they're just like us in this way maybe hmm. even worse on a certain level because of the globalization and the the disbursement. You know, when we were growing up, we had our people, but I feel like a lot of young people today, there's so much mobility, even if you stay in the same house mm-hmm. because of social media, you're, in, you're just in contact with so many more people. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to kind of fly apart to spread yourself really thin. Um, but I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think that getting back to the question, I think it is interesting of like, if I just think about it myself, let me just try this on for a second. Sure. So I impact other people. Yeah. Positively, mostly, but negatively kind of perhaps. And, I affect them. Yep. Because of me. Yes. 
Your absence has an effect. My absence has an effect. That's interesting because yeah. I wouldn't. That's hard to accept. Uh-huh. It's harder for me to accept that than I have impact on other people. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I know it intellectually. Sure. But. But it's also kind of a defense because I don't want to hurt other people by disappointing them because I'm actually disappointing a lot of people right now because I'm closing. I closed my supervision practice and had to terminate with all my supervisees. I stopped. I'm not working as a professor at the at the university very much anymore. And I'm stopping teaching case consultation like midstream. You know, I'm abandoning a bunch of interns right now. Yeah. And. They all had really nice things to say, but in my head, I'm like, well, you know, you're just being nice. That's everyone's nice to their professors, probably too nice on a certain level. And Mm, high demand. So so I'm just thinking, oh, you know, I'm sure I, I'm sure, I'm sure I impacted you kind of, you know what I mean? But not to the level that you're saying. You know what, what if I mean? it were true, though? What if it were really true that you impacted somebody just like they told you? I know. That's a good question. Uh, that would make me feel good because they're saying really nice things. wonder what the function of our blind spot is. I know. Our, it's almost a willful blind spot. Yeah. It's like we're closing our eyes on purpose. Automatically, I, but, but definitely. Well, part of it is, for me, is boasting avoidance to recognize that I'm important that I, cause there's so many things associated with that idea. So let's just take, I have a student that wrote me a nice card and mm-hmm. said that I impacted her a lot and it was very nice. And, right in. and if I think about really taking that in of, wow, you mean I, I was that important. The first thing I run into is, well, come on, Kirk. I mean, there's a lot of people that have your abilities. There's something really special. But but why does that matter, right? Like, yeah. let's say there's billions of people with my abilities. That doesn't mean that I, that I didn't impact someone. Yeah. But I think that that's part of it. It's like to recognize that you're important somehow lets in this notion of boasting, lets in this notion of, ooh, I'm special. I'm I'm important or something. I'm I'm good at something or I don't know. I don't either. It's weird. But we want to avoid it. We both want to be, we want to know that we had a good impact. And you want to know that you're a good teacher. That you That's the whole students. purpose of my freaking life, yeah. Bob. That's all that I do. That's I wake up do. in the morning and I, and I literally will ask a question like, what am I going to do today to try to make the world a better place? Yeah. And I kind of roll through the 15 things that I want to do. Yeah. Um, even if it's like, well, I need to go buy that new piece of equipment because that'll help me make the podcast because right. I'm trying to make a better um, impression on the, I'm trying to help the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to make a better impression on the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's true. Uh, at least not for its own sake. Uh, both and it's fine. Yeah. Um, and, but then, okay. So if I, if I go past that of like, well, that's okay. You're not boasting. If you're recognizing literally manifesting your mission in life, that's fine. People have impacted me positively. Uh, I can impact others positively. Then I think I run into this f- feeling of, well, I know I'm not that important. Well, like I'm not the way that they're talking. I, I really, really helped them, but 
I know, I know 99.9% of what they're talking about had to do with them. They were the ones that went through the, the gauntlet. How did we measure such a thing? And I was, I was there to help, but, but I, but I didn't, I didn't carry them over the finish line. I was cheering them on from the sidelines, but you had bad teachers. I've had terrible teachers. They had an impact. (laughs) They had an impact. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so I guess on the plus side, I didn't abuse them the way some of my professors have abused me. Right, fair enough. But I know that I've had very good teachers who all I've done is channeled them. Like I've said, okay, well, what would Lori? Lori is one of my old, one of my couple therapy teachers. I just love her. She's awesome. Really, just anyways, I just act like her. I act like her for two months last year so that I could learn how to do couple counseling. I just acted like the way I think she would act. And then eventually I don't have to do that anymore because it's sort of like something internalized, whatever. And who knows if it's right, but but that's Lori Brubaker. She's like important to me. But she would be, if she were sitting here, I think she might, ah, shucks it too. Yeah. We, we, we are, we are perhaps a bit willful, but you know, they have a name for it now. Now they call them social influencers, right? Whose job is to influence other people, right? The people that have a million followers on, you know, whatever, YouTube or something. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a name for it. But everybody's a social influencer. Uh-huh. Everybody. It's just a question of, I think the question that people, they just think about how many how how big is the is the sphere of influence? I'd say that a YouTube person is probably not a very large sphere of influence because they're one little slice of the pie, a very thin slice of the pie in an mm-hmm. average person's day. Whereas a partner, a good friend, um, a, a family member, um, a neighbor, mm-hmm. that's a bigger slice of pie. They're a bigger social influence. Maybe not for but maybe not for good all the time. Okay, fine. Who is? But we, we, we don't, we don't want to see our impact. We don't want to. I think it's also vulnerability. Exactly. To something vulnerable. Yeah. To talk, even talk about it. Yeah. About influencing others raises the notion of influencing each other and having an impact on each other. Yeah. Is scary. Yeah. Because when I think about other people besides you, Mm -hmm. like I, I can sit with, the notion that you and I influence each other and affect each other mm-hmm. and have an impact on each other mm-hmm. and cha- transmute each other in a certain way. What's that word mean? Uh, change each other through, you know, osmosis to a certain oh, extent. Uh-huh. I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> God bless. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, but when I think about other people, so it's interesting. When I think about people I really trust, I can say, yes, we impact each other. Mm-hmm. When I think about people really far away from me, I can say, yes, I influence them. And I suppose they influence me. But when I think about people in the middle where I'm not confident in our relationship or I'm not, I don't feel safe around them. Mm-hmm. That one, I it's harder for me to go there in my head. Or maybe if the intensity is high, it's too much at stake in terms of thinking about how we impact other people positively. 
Are these people that you have like um, rifts in your relationship? Is that who you mean? Or no, else? no, just, just, uh, just. I. There are certain relationships where I just think it's harder to. It's easier for me to be like, well, you know, we coexist. Everything's fine. We're okay. It's just safer that way for me. And to think about, do I impact the other person? Because that's not a conversation a lot of people have. That they will tell you, hey, you impact me in a positive way, in this way. I like you because of this. That doesn't happen very often. And so to, so for most of my relationships, I don't have any, I don't have any confirmation that, that their relationship isn't even in, is even important enough for the, that question to even arise, you know, because most people don't talk vulnerably about their relationship. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But do you have that with all your people? Cause you are better at being vulnerable about those sorts of things. Do I have what? When you think about your different layers, layers of inner circle versus next to, you know, sure. so you think about your first three layers of inner circle. Okay. Do you have vulnerable conversations with all those people? Very rarely. Yeah, no, 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 almost never. Like, I think I talk more vulnerably with you than anybody else, except for maybe personal counseling. I think I'm probably more, you know, I see you every couple of weeks. I have more conversations with Colleen, and she sees me, you know, they're, they're, they're different though, because sometimes when we're having our vulnerable conversations, um, things are heated. Right. Us. There's and, more at stake or something. Yeah, it yeah. feels more dangerous. I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> right. But I don't think about it. Like yesterday, she said to me, I said something critical, and she said, "When you say that to me, it makes me feel like you think I'm dumb." Oh. And I said, my first impulse was. Well, I don't think you're dumb, which I think I, I said some version of that. And then I'm like, why are you so dumb to think that I think you're dumb? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then I said to her, yeah, I get it. And I'm yeah. sorry. I humiliated you. Golly. But I don't know that I think about my impact. I don't think about it Yeah. for, for better or ill for good or ill on her. But now I kind of want to, and I want, I want to talk about it with her. Yeah. Like, how did I impact you today? How did you impact me today? And have us be interested in what we have to say to one another. Yeah. I think it would make us closer, which I, I want. Yeah. Do you feel safe enough to have that conversation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do that with Colleen. Great. You've built that with her. Yeah. Yeah. You, is that is that something you'd want to do? I mean, I don't, you know. Is that of course. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... There's so many elements or components to a vulnerable conversation like that. One of it being what kind of impact do I have on you? And let me tell you the impact, the positive impact that you have on me. Or the negative. Or the negative. But really, you could just do the positive. That's enough vulnerability for one day. Good point. And That's a good point. Um, it's scary enough. Yeah. <laughs> But there's so many other components to that, of that sort of vulnerable space that we just don't live in. We'd just rather avoid. Yeah. Like, um, you know, crying while you're having eye contact. 
Yeah. <laughs> About <Right>. just anything. <laughs> right. uh, uh, I don't know. Just being frustrated. Yeah. Like in real. Yeah. Before we start recording, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of frustrated with something I want to get into, but, and I just sort of, I think since I think of you as a safe person, Bob, I, yeah. I just felt the feelings and didn't bottle it up, you know? Well, then you said something interesting and you said it twice. You said, I don't want to bore you with the details like I would be. <laughs> I thought, well, that's a Kirk thing to say, <laughs> but I don't think, um, I certainly wasn't bored. Yeah, I know. But yeah. at the same time, I know that I have a mode where I will go into detail kind of talk and it's not the important thing. What I wanted at the moment was yeah. to feel the feelings and to to go up and then come back down. Yeah. You know, sort of a catharsis, if you will, of just pent up yeah. distress and unbridled, just undifferentiated frustration, you know? Just need to let the, the dam go down so the river could go. Yeah, just be a human being. Yeah. Well... You could say that's taking care of yourself. Yeah. Right. So there are literally a hundred questions that they submitted. We got to one. And I didn't even get through my whole answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let me give the rest of my answer, then we'll wrap this thing up. Right on. Uh, planning for the future is another self-care thing I oh, do. Uh -huh. Making sure that I'm prioritizing mm -hmm. and not being materialistic. That's another self-care thing I do. Another thing I try to do is ask for help. I'm not very great at it, but that's an important part of self-care. I'm just saying, I don't know what I'm doing here. Can you please help me? All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle, in which we answered one of 100 questions that we have to get into. <laughs> Everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. Wait, that's your line. That's your line. Yeah, you did good. You did, you did good with both lines today. Nice job.